Hey, Toasties. I'm Missy here with my bestie, Johnsy. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. <laughs> oh, I love that part. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, Because you, your little southern accent is cute. You got that Wisconsin accent. I can't even mock it. It's not that hard. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's fun, though. I know. I, you know, I do remember, though, getting asked to say all the words. Say this word. Say that word. Oh, especially when you first moved, moved, moved down here in high oh, school. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Like, this <laughs> this one. Hold on. I have to write it because, like, say that. Pond. Pond. <laughs> they thought I was saying pen for some reason. How? I have no idea. Your guys' weird country accent. <laughs> Hockey. Hockey. This one Lloyd says differently than I do. Closet. What is it? Closet. Closet. What in the world? <laughs> it's like when you say cider. Cider. <laughs> um, it's it's all the vowels. Like the way we pronounce the vowels are just, I don't know, exaggerated? Yeah, it seems like they're longer. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what are you drinking? <laughs> um, uh, Let's see, what am I drinking? White Claw Hard Seltzer Iced Tea Lemon. It's, it's, it's okay. It's what they had, so. Lemon. Does it, t- okay. The I, lemon tastes better than the other flavors. Does so it? Far. Can I try it? Yeah. I tried the peach one, and the peach one tasted just like peach rings. None no. of them taste like tea. No. None of these. No, it did not taste like tea. It tasted like, it tasted like water with the, the ghost of peach. <laughs> oh, that one's not bad. Yeah, this one's not bad. That's my favorite it's one. It's because it has, you can taste the lemon. Yeah. It tastes like lemon water. Yeah. I can see why people get totally fucked up off of White Claw, because that literally, they literally taste like water. Yeah, you, they go down really easily. But I'm if normally you like not sparkling a, water. Yeah, I'm normally not a big fan of these. But. I do not like sparkling water. It's gross. I don't mind it. it depends I, on I tried, I tried to be one of those people who are like, I drink LaCroix. <laughs> I don't even, I don't like LaCroix. I like the, was it bubbly or something? What is the difference? They all taste the no, fucking No, the bubbly one has, like, a really, really good fruity flavor to it. I feel like I'm um, lied to in all the flavors. I just taste, like, this, the carbonation. You know that's really good, though, when you take, well, you don't like artificial sweeteners. You can get the stevia ones, but you squeeze the, those little, like, liquid squeeze things that you add to water. The, the meal and stuff? Yeah. Lloyd drinks those all the time. Add it to, like, your seltzer water, and it's like a soda, and it's not as bad for you. Ooh. And it's really yummy. Okay, that's going to be on the next one. That's our next drink. I'm doing that. Because I think I'd gotten, what, I think I got a, like a vanilla seltzer. And I just squ- uh, squished, squirted some, <laughs> I don't know what that was, squirted some You guys seen her face with that. Ooh, I bet you that tastes like a dream Yeah, it was really, really good. Okay, that is, to- we're really doing good. that. We're doing that the next episode. Sounds good to me. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Sounds good. What you got? Let me guess. Barefoot? No. Oh, it was in your cup, so I assumed. Which I cup? know you assumed because it's in my it's in my my cup. No, um, I have mead. Oh wow. Yeah. Which cup? Um, this is from the um meadery place that's down the street from us. Okay. Called Funktastic Mead. Um, this one's called Missed Opportunities. It is a peach cherry drying mead. You might like it because it's dry and red. Let me try. And you like. Pinot Noir, if you drink wine. Ooh, that is tasty. Ooh, I got you. I like that one. Yeah. Because other ones you've given me were so freaking sweet. They are. That one's good. Yes, this one is good. Um, so, ooh, I I had in the fridge because I have a bunch of these. I give it a nine. Ooh, yeah, this one's this one's not bad. I'm not a dry wine. I'm. It's mead is basically wine. Um, it's a honey, honey wine. Honey wine. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big dry wine drinker, but I know you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's not bad. No, I like it. I like it a lot. I bet you it tastes good with cheese. Everything tastes good with cheese. <laughs> I don't know why you won't come to Wisconsin with me. 
in the land of cheese. <laughs> what are we talking about today? So this is really exciting. This is a listener's request. Woo woo! Yeah. So we've gotten a couple of listener requests. Um, we got the one about Madeline, which was really sad. Madeline yeah. was determined. Well, Julia was determined not to be Madeline. However, real fun fact: Mom, because Julia came out thinking she was Madeline and the, through mm-hmm. the DNA and all that stuff and this stuff, she can recount. Yeah. They are moving forward again with Madeline's case to try to find what happened to her. Oh, that's awesome. They got um, something with the funding. They got more funding to continue yeah, the pursuit. Yeah, because that's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of cases that because of funding, it stops it stops cases, mm-hmm. the lack of. Um, but because of this and because things that she could recount, like she had a memory of like the, the location of where mm-hmm. Madeline was taken. Yeah, like, um, just going back to like the funding thing. In the Ed Gein episode, the other woman that he killed, they essentially didn't charge him with that crime. Yeah. Even though he's guilty of it and admitted to it. Mm-hmm. But because the funding, Wisconsin was just like, no, we're not even going to bother. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that, that was exciting to hear. So, I, I'm, I'm still keeping up with it to see what comes. That was a, a listener's request. Unfortunately, it was still such in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to make it a conversation piece. I got a lot of conversations with some of our um, followers on Facebook and uh, Instagram. So that was really great. Um, but this was another listener request. And when I first read it, I thought it was Beatrice 6. Mm-hmm. It's Beatrice 6. Beatrice. It's pronounced Beatrice. Even though it's spelled B-E-A-T-R. I C E. Yeah, when that's I, what I thought it was. Beatrice. Yeah. It's Beatrice. Beatrice. Beatrice yeah. six. And um, it's a doozy of a tale, like a doozy of a story that literally it took place in the eighties and it wasn't up until just two years ago that this finally this case was like fully put to rest. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, I'm ready for a doozy. You ready for a doozy? Ready for these shenanigans? Absolutely. Yeah. Every day. I know. So am I. <laughs> um, so I just also want to say a big shout out. Thank you for this, for this story. It was, it was, it was fun learning. Um, so the victim's name is Helen Wilson. And February of, um, February 4th of 1980. Five. Sorry. Yes, 1985. Um, she has fan. She lives in Beatrice, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So that's another Midwest. But um, she lives in Beatrice, Nebraska. But she would go to Scotts Bluff, where her family was, to spend a lot of time with them. Okay. Um. On February fourth, she was in Scotts Bluff with her family visiting. Um, and she just uh, she wasn't feeling well. She really wasn't feeling well that day. So she asked to go home a little bit early. So they they took her home early. Um, and uh, she had, I be, I'm not sure their relationship to her, uh, the family member that was, that was talking, recounting the story of what had happened, he called them aunt and uncle. Okay. So one of them is, I'm assuming, her kid is Katie and Daryl. Now, um... Katie and Daryl would usually go to her house every day. They would spend the day with her um, at night. They would, um, Helen loved coffee, which woman after my own heart. Yeah, I absolutely. love me some coffee. She would drink coffee at night, like my before dad does bed. That. My dad drinks it all day, every day, 24-7. Well, Helen is one of these people. So Daryl and uh, Katie would spend the evenings with Helen every night. They would have um, coffee. And um, they would, you know, watch TV, Mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, But again, Helen was saying how she wasn't feeling really well and she apologized, but she's not going to be having coffee tonight. Mm. And and sent them home. Um, the The next morning... The family in Scott's, uh, Scott's Bluff got a phone call from Katie and told them Helen had passed away. Oh, no. 
And that was all that was said. Now, Helen, during the time, was dealing with pneumonia. Okay. And um, so they just assumed... That took her. Because Helen was older. Okay. Helen was uh, 68. All right. Makes sense. The family, hearing that she passed away, obviously got in their car, started driving. Now, Scott's Bluff is a bit of a drive to uh, Beatrice. It wasn't until they reached Lincoln, Nebraska, that they heard on the radio that she was actually murdered. Oh, shit. So they were in the car on their way, too. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. They heard a Beatrice woman um, was found murdered on the, on the radio. Like, did, I they, un- did they connect the dots? Did they they like, used did they her name. Me? Okay. They used her name. And, right. Like, I can understand, like, not wanting to tell your family over the phone, you need to get down here, grandma was murdered. Yeah. Um... But for them to find out through a different source, though. Right. I don't think I would want to take those chances, especially in that circumstance. Right. Knowing that they had to drive uh, to hear, to know that there's a possibility that they're going to hear it on the radio. Because naturally, it's the 80s. Mm-hmm. All you have for entertainment in a car is the radio. Yeah. That's it. So you're going to listen to that radio. And that is how they found out that she was actually murder um so they went katie and daryl daryl's the one who actually found her mm-hmm. usually katie um had to call helen to tell her to take her meds because she always had to take meds in the middle of the night yeah and katie had her cousin call helen and it just rang 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 nothing happened of course the one night you asked her to do something well, she found out that she never answered, so Katie herself called her. Okay. And the phone rang twice, and then it went dead. And Katie just assumed that it was because she probably picked it up and hung up, and she was fine. Like, she, oh, she got it. Okay, thanks for the message. Because she wasn't feeling well, figured she didn't really want to talk, and that was her way of saying, like, okay, I got it. I'm up. Because, again, it's the 80s. You only have a phone that's attached to the wall that's attached to a cord, yeah. to a cord, to mm-hmm. a cord. Um, so, yes, yeah, Daryl went the next morning, and he found her on the floor in the living room. And instantly he called the police. She was on the floor in the living room. Her, The police showed up. Sorry. The police showed up, and they saw... Her on the floor, Bill Fitzgerald. I'm jumping around. I apologize, guys. Bill Fitzgerald is the first one to get there. Mm-hmm. He actually is recording with a video camera. Okay. Like, what he's seen. And he finds her laying in the living room. Now, she lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Okay. Um, this bedroom, there was one bedroom, the living room, a kitchen, and a bathroom. That's mm-hmm. it. Tiny little, you know... Apartment, old old lady apartment. So she was laying in the living room. You could see her bedroom when you kind of walk in. Okay. And you could see that her bedroom was completely ruffled. Uh, there was a washcloth in the sink. And Helen was laying on the floor with her nightgown pulled up. Her hands Uh-oh. were bound and her face was wrapped. Oh, no. Yes. There was, the really sick part was, there was coffee made in her coffee maker. Oh. Yeah, but Helen didn't make coffee that night with Kiki and Daryl, so she, she didn't make that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, that I thought was pretty weird. There was also part of a $5 bill on the floor kind of under her purse. It was like it was ripped. And it was laying on the floor. There was a knife from her kitchen found in her bedroom with blood on the wall and at the foot of the bed on, the one, si- on one side up against the wall. Um, the lights in the hallway of the apartment were shut off. 
just in the hallway getting to her door. It appeared somebody had gone to the machine room mm-hmm. and pulled the fuse for that hallway. Why? At, yeah. That's odd. Okay. Yeah. Um, they instantly, the police, they all show up, they see everything, and their first thing is to interview everybody in the nearby apartments in the mm-hmm. complex, asking, and nobody reported any loud screams or anything being loud in general. Which is abnormal considering it's an apartment building. Yeah, and she had um, an autopsy done, and when they went and unwrapped her face, her face was wrapped so tightly that her nose was pressed completely flat. Oh, no. Yeah. So, naturally, right away, they said cause of death was suffocation. Yeah. So, she had, like, a bandage thing wrapped over her face, and then a scarf was wrapped. Like, a knitted mm-hmm. Afghan-looking scarf. Okay. Was wrapped around her face. Um, her right hand had numerous defensive cuts on it, so she was clearly fighting back. Mm-hmm. So, to hear that nobody heard anything... But she had the defensive wounds on her body. That's really yeah. That's weird. really odd. Um, her first and second rib and her fifth and sixth ribs were broken. And this part is gross. There was very active semen in both her vagina and rectum, which indicated that a young person had done this. Oh no! So she was not only murdered; she was. Horribly raped. Um, Everybody described Helen as obviously a kind woman. She did everything for everyone. Um, She would... They called her the glue to their family. Mm -hmm. She loved to record her voice for people, for her kids, for her grandkids, which was really cute. She was like this little poem that she recorded... And it sounds so adorable because her little voice is just like, Aww. like that just, that, that sweet grandma yeah. sound. I actually have a recording. I, uh, one of the Christmas before my nanny passed and it's like, uh, the night before Christmas and it's one of those mm. Hallmark books mm. and I bought her one too and we recorded one for each other because I live states away Yeah, and I still have that to this day. And thankfully, it still plays, but um, I do have it on recording saved on my phone, just in case, but yeah. Yeah, Angel got one of those when she was little, when we lived in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. from Nana. Okay. Nana got one of those books. It wasn't the night night before. I was going to say nightmare. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh my gosh. (laughs) That would be so awesome. Um, It was... um, I don't even know what the story was, but Nana recorded yeah. her voice on it, and um, it doesn't work anymore. Oh, I don't that's know. So sad. I don't know if that's because Angel like played it so many times when mm-hmm. she was little, because the book talked to her. That yeah. was like really cool, and she was really little. I think she was like two. Oh, yeah. So back to the story. Yeah, sorry guys. No. <laughs> right. So she liked recording her voice. She she just loved recording. She was a, she was just considered a lively person. So like her family did not understand like who would want to do this to her. Like of mm-hmm. all people, why her? And obviously some of the family members want to hurt whoever hurt her and their family. Well, yeah. That was instantly the first thought. Um, of what they wanted to do. Guys, I'm saying I'm a lot, so make sure you're getting your waters ready. You all are going to be hydrated today. (laughs) I'm a little, like, discombobulated. Uh, Police sat outside the funeral, taking pictures of people leaving, looking if people had any scratches on their faces, their arms, anything in a sling, something that would say this is probably the perp some kind of red flag yeah because they said a lot of times and i never thought about this said a lot of times the the suspect mm-hmm. will attend the funeral yes yeah for reaction mm-hmm. they want to see the reaction mm-hmm. and i was like ah oh, that's gross mm-hmm. yep 
Yeah. So they had the police. They made it to where everybody can only go in and out of the same in the same door. Mm-hmm. And that um, they sat there with one of those big cameras with the big lenses, just yep. snapping pictures of anybody that can possibly look like a suspect. They also put a voice-activated recorder under some flowers at her grave. Oh, to see that's a good idea. Ah, oh, that's kind of advanced. I feel like for that time, but yeah, that's a really good idea. I wouldn't have thought of that. Okay, yeah. So they did that to see if maybe the person might come and confess to her grave. Ooh. Like, haha, I did this to you, or something, or maybe apologize. Hopefully, oh. That would be nice, right? Again, no luck. Mm. So blood samples from the wall were taken, and they were not Helen's. Mm. So this woman fought so she back. Did. So how did nobody hear this? This seems a little odd. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they did determine that the suspect was a type B non-secretor blood group. No idea what non-secretor means, but they are type B blood type. Okay. So that was something they had specific that they were going to look into. Um, Bill Fitzgerald was the guy that was the the head dude on the on the uh-huh. case, which I have to then go back. Actually, I was wrong. Bill Fitzgerald was not the one who went in with the camera. Bill Fitzgerald was the main lieutenant on the case. I do okay. not remember the name of the guy who went in with the camera to take things. So, correction, scratch what I said in the beginning. But he was the one that was interviewing everybody. He interviewed 20 to 50 people, and with each person, he took a blood sample from them. And okay. every single person came back, not type B, you know, secretor, non Yeah, obviously. So, every single person was eliminated after the interview because of that one specific detail. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Um, so Beatrice is a really, really tiny town. It's okay. a town of 12,000 people. Mm. So when a big crime like this happens, everybody's scared. Yeah. Everybody's scared. Everybody's pointing fingers at each other. Everybody's making up their little... Stories rumors, already, yeah. and the rumor mill is going. Yeah, nobody trusts anybody. Nobody's trusting. And the thing is, is, like, when you have a small town, everybody knows everybody. So now mm-hmm. everybody's sitting there, like, who can they trust? Yeah, and they're all of a sudden, like, picking apart their neighbors and their and maybe even their family and friends and, like, oh, I bet you it was this because I could see this, this, and this. Yeah. And I guess this was, like, the town, like, nobody locks their doors. But now this, everybody's locking doors. Everybody's got their shotgun set next to their beds. It's, they're terrified, yeah. Terrified, and they're hunkered down Mm -hmm. for whatever could come their way. Especially since the person wasn't caught. Yeah. I mean, when you have a small town like that, and three days go by, not even, like, a glimpse of a suspect in in sight, Mm -hmm. you get scared quickly. So, Bert Searcy was a um, retired law officer. Okay. And when he heard about this story, he decided he was going to work on this case. Hmm. Okay. Now, the reason Bert took this on is Bert knew the family. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay. Bert knew the family. And... He left the police, um, he left the force in 1982. The crime happened in 1985. So he was still pretty buddy-buddy with the the cops and stuff like that. It hasn't been that long. But he just left because he felt like it was, he was done. He was tired. He was burnt out a little bit. It's got to be a hard job. I could only imagine. Like, I could only imagine. That's why when you said he decided he would take it on, like, wow, you don't hear a whole lot of detectives coming out of retirement to be like oh yeah one more round let's just do it yeah so he actually knew the he knew the family so the family had a dry cleaning business and bert went to them and asked like if he could be like a private investigator for them Mm. for this case and naturally they were like yes help us because they're not getting anything they're not finding anybody Mm -hmm. they're not any of it 
so any extra help would be obviously welcomed. So this family's just distraught Absolutely. at this news. Just again, you're wondering like why? The because the police were having such a hard time trying to figure out a suspect and with 12,000 people there's only so many that could be a potential suspect. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a small number. So your your group of people you can really look at is still an even smaller number. Mm-hmm. So they eventually did reach out to the FBI in Omaha to get a profiler. The profiler was Peter Klismet. K-L-I-S-M-E-T. Klismet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Klismet. Um, he was an FBI profiler. So... The night of the murder was negative seven degrees. Oof. So it's definitely not going to be a person who's out strolling around letting their dog out for a walk. No. Lord knows it won't be me at that temperature. Uh, The murderer, like I said, made coffee. So this person felt comfortable in the home. So that was weird, too, according to the profiler. Do you think, like, could she have let them in to sit down and have coffee with? We'll get to that. Okay. Now who's jumping ahead? Sorry. Sorry, just curious. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally fine. Totally fine. Um, so the profiler got, you know, his, his information about the case and stuff like that, and he put together this profile. Mm-hmm. His profile was the suspect is a white male, late teens, early 20s, dependent of a mother figure, and has been dominated by her. Possible he knew her. May have been interviewed early in the investigation. Motivated by rape. Likely he will have a past record of assault, sexual assault primarily, and also may have spent some time in a detention facility. Okay. So that was their profile. That's who they were told this is kind of probably, this is your person you're going to want to yeah. look into. And he said, please do not share this information with the public. Yeah. Keep this to yourself. Mm-hmm. The next day it was in the paper. God damn it. Come on. <laughs> like, really? This town is already fucking scared. Like, they're already terrified. And they're already, like, pointing fingers at each other. And you went and put that out. Now any male that's young who might be considered a little bit of a bad boy is going to be under scrutiny. (sighs) Yeah. You would think after everything they went through in the 70s, like, we would have learned to keep shit out of the media, but I don't know. I don't know. We're in the 80s now. Money talks. So. It does. So they, after getting this, they were just like, Okay, we're, we're there's a certain part of town we got to be looking at, and it's our lower end of the town. Okay. And if there's any place in the world that that low end person is gonna be, it is the RNS bar. Um, so they ended up getting kind of this tip, uh, from Michael Hyatt, who was at RNS bar with a man named Bruce Allen Smith the night before Helen was murdered with. And he was with Michael. Michael was with Sherry Bowmeyer and her roommate, a girl named Jamie. Mm-hmm. They all drank together and Bruce became intoxicated. They then went to the girls' trailer in Blue Springs. And they were there till the girls kicked Bruce out at about like 3.45 a.m. Because he was just way too much. Uh, He was just getting way too aggressive. And Bruce ended up making the comment to Michael that he was going to get a piece of ass one way or another. Oh, no, dude. You got to go. (laughs) Mike then brought Bruce back to Beatrice and dropped Bruce off at the 6th and Court. um, Just two blocks south of Helen's apartment. Mm -hmm. And Mike last saw him walking north. He'd been in jail. He was living in Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. but he used to live in Beatrice. He had a grandmother who lived in that apartment years ago. 
okay. Um, so he ended up becoming familiar with, he was familiar mm-hmm. with that apartment. Yeah. So when they got that story, mm-hmm. instantly they went to go get Bruce. Yeah. Uh, they were going to go, they were going down to go get him and make, they pretty much were like, that's our prime suspect. Okay. That's who, that's our guy. They contacted Oklahoma City Police Department because that's what he actually was in jail at the time that they were told about the story to get info on Bruce and have them run blood work on him. It came back that he is type B. Uh oh. Secretor. Oh boy. Instead of a non secretor. So instead, he eliminated as a suspect. So they were like almost on something, you know? So at that point, they were back to square one. Now, Bert is out doing his own, like, private investigation. He's going to talk to people. However, mm-hmm. Bert at the moment is in his everyday outfit. Yeah. He's driving his everyday truck. Because at the time when this all happened, Bert was actually doing, like, a, um his own little homestead thing. Mm-hmm. He had a little farm he was tending to and whatnot like that. So he's going around asking questions. He ended up running into... A girl named Lisa Bodendorf. Okay. Who she said she had a little something to tell him. So, so she's talking to him. He went to her home. And he was like, I was told that you might know something about this case. <coughs> Sorry, guys. I have like a dry spot in my throat. And I'm trying not to cough too much. <laughs> um, Lisa was driving down the street with her boyfriend at the time. And she saw a car pull into the driveway of Helen's apartment. And she knew them that who were in the car and identified a man named Tom, Tom Winslow, Joseph White, and Ada Joanne Taylor. Mm-hmm. We're going to call her Joanne, though, because most of the time in all the stuff I found, they always referred to her as Joanne. Okay. Lisa um, was saying that... The next morning, Joanne and her were talking, and Lisa's like, what's all the stuff with the cops around this apartment building? Yeah. And apparently, Joanne told her, didn't you hear? Um, An old lady was murdered the other day over there. And myself, Joseph, and Tom did it. What? Yeah. Lisa, um was just like dumbfounded she's like as we all just were <laughs> yeah right she's like you can't you can't be right and joanne said look we did it and gave the details about exactly what had happened oh okay and lisa didn't know what to do she was just kind of like she was afraid of joanne she was afraid because apparently joanne's like if you tell anybody she threatened her yeah and Joanne was known in the town as, if she threatened you, she's keeping that promise. Because mm. it's not a threat, it's a promise. Uh, so she was known to steal, be on the streets a lot, do drugs. And, uh, yeah, Bert said that, you know, if she threatened, she's going to keep it. And he had no reason not to believe what Lisa was saying. Okay. So, naturally, Bert went straight to um, investigating a little bit more. He found information about Joseph White. He had been arrested around 84 because he had attempted to kick in a lady's door and break into her house. Joanne and Joseph had already left Beatrice a few weeks after Helen's murder. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Um, but he did find Tom. And so he went to Tom's house and questioned him. Now, Tom was younger than Joanne and Joseph. Okay. I want to say, like, by five years. Mm. He went to his house. Tom was living with his parents at the time. And he asked him if he was at 
said that you know you were you were seen at the scene of that crime and Tom's response was I wasn't there I was working at Marshall's truck stop truck stop mm-hmm. so Bert then goes to the truck stop of course naturally to check his alibi mm-hmm. manager said no he called out that day mm. and never showed up you did fucked up boy so Bert Instantly went to the police now. Mm-hmm. He investigated those three people. You know, Tom's alibi already was shot out the window. Yeah. So told them, you know, what they, what he was told by Lisa and what he had found. And mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, we interviewed them already. Don't worry about it. They're not, they're not involved. What? No, no, no. But you didn't know this. You didn't know all this beforehand. Yeah. So this, like the I said, fuck? this story, this this situation, it takes a lot of fucking turns. What is it with the authorities in the Midwest? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with them? <laughs> so it's crazy. Like I said, this, this, you're going to have a lot of dumbfounded moments where you're like, what? Oh boy. All right. Keep them coming. Yeah. So... Since, again, they dismissed Bert and what he had said, um, which, by the way, Bert's real name is Burdette. <laughs> sorry. That's probably really loud. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I just thought I'd share that. His real name is Burdette. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, His parents hated him. <laughs> so they, you know, they dismissed his, his tip that mm-hmm. he gave them. Um, so they, as they're still sitting there, square one, no suspect in sight, they called a psychic in well, Co- in Colorado, which is not uncommon. Yeah, it's not it, uncommon that time. No. No. I mean, it's, well, I guess it's it, a little iffy now. I guess it is a little iffy now. Science, we have so much science nowadays where That's true. we really don't need, but back in the day, they, you know, they used them all the time. Yeah. So they called a psychic out of Colorado. And she said three were involved, two men and a woman. The person that killed her was a son-in-law or nephew or grandson. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Ooh, I hope not. Uh-huh. When they went into her house, mm-hmm. she had a chain on her door. Mm-hmm. Obviously, also the first thing that they look at when they find these crime scenes, how did this person get in? Yeah. There was no forced entry. She knew them. That's what I'm saying. She obviously knew them because I know I know my grandmother. And the night she's locking every single door. That chain. And that chain goes over. And if you touch anything, she's going to yell at you. <laughs> yes. So, and the grandkids all said the same thing, like, Grandma always kept that chain locked. Exactly. Like, always. Um, and her chain was not locked. It was, it wasn't broken. It was hanging on the door frame like a chain, the chain normally does before you lock it. Mm. So, but unfortunately, and eventually the case went cold. God damn it. Yeah. But Bert never gave up. And he did eventually get back into law fully because he found with his being in his personal everyday clothes with his truck, not a lot of people wanted to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Who are you? You know, they're like, who are you? You're just some random Joe Schmall off the streets. I mean, yeah. they knew him. But he's not a law enforcement anymore, so why do we got to talk yeah, to you? And you're not going to hear anything, you know, to just some anybody. Because some people also didn't want to be part of the fucking rumor mill. Yeah. So he did get back into the law enforcement. He went to the Gage County Sheriff's Department and got back in that way. As soon as he was in, in the Sheriff's Department, he told his boss what Lisa had told him. And he's like, what are you waiting for? Get this done. Oh, Okay. Now he's taken serious because he's in a uniform. Um, so he brought Lisa back in. Now the crime started, it was in 85. By the time he was finally getting things done, it was 1988. Oh, shit. Yep. 
And one thing Bert says is if someone's lying, mm-hmm. they can't repeat a story. They're just, no. So he had Lisa repeat, you know, what had happened. And she was able to say the same story again. The only difference is she did throw in that Joanne did have scratches on the side of her neck and cheek area. And now at this point, Joanne, Joseph, and Tom are now suspects. Um, Little side to Tom. Tom ended up meeting a man named Cliff. Now, Tom, like I said, he was young. Mm -hmm. And he did work at a truck stop. Mm -hmm. Um... But he was, like, about 17. Okay. So he was a young kid. And he ended up meeting this man named Cliff, who he thought was really cool. Cliff would come in telling stories and all this other kind of cool, badass, like, I'm Billy Badass dude Mm -hmm. things. And Cliff, or Tom, had a hard time being accepted by people and had a hard time making friends and he just, like any other young kid, just wants to be accepted by whoever, no matter what the situation is. Mm-hmm. So he kind of clung to Cliff, because Cliff was just like, eh, you're cool. We could be cool together. Now, he said that Cliff would do this thing called, and I hate this, so I'm really sorry, you guys. I'm just quoting. It's called Roll a Fag. Mm. And... Um, he says it's where you go to where mm-hmm. they are, they hang out. Yeah. And you roll them for their money. Basically, you rob them. Yeah. So Cliff would have Tom lure men to a place. They go to this video place where there's the back room with yeah. the spicy stuff. Yeah. And apparently, then you go into this other spot of that area, and if a man, like, waves his shoe underneath the door, it means that they want to come on in, and then you can let him in. Oh, gosh. So you kind of, yeah. It's like a kissing booth. (laughs) Careful how you move your feet. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a kissing booth. Um, So he did that. He kind of hooked a man and said, let's meet here instead. Okay. So they end up leaving Mm -hmm. to go meet... The guy, I guess he had to be at work or something like that. So he met him at his job. Mm-hmm. Tom and the man went into the back room. And Tom said that things got really escalated, spicy, quickly. Um, and while he was just being the decoy to distract the guy, Cliff was supposed to come in and kind of finish the job. Okay. You know, rob him. So he was only supposed to hit him in the head once. But the guy didn't go down. So apparently Cliff just continually bashed this man oh boy tom was convinced the guy was dead there was just so much blood but cliff robbed the man and both tom and cliff ran off obviously they went to jail for this yeah so by the time bert was getting things in motion for tom Mm -hmm. joanne and joseph tom was already in jail for this situation for an attempt of whatever um, place. But Tom ended up being in protective custody because after that situation, he was scared of Cliff. Mm. Um, Tom did have a lawyer. His name was John Stevens Barry. This man is a lawyer. Like, listening to him, seeing him talk, whatever. He's a lawyer. He just has that lawyer vibes. Yeah. So, Tom's already in jail for this situation. Bert is trying to get all the information about Helen. Mm -hmm. Tom now thinks, because he remembers when Bert came to his house before Mm -hmm. and told him, no, I wasn't there. He's like, I could be a value to that case. Okay. So, he... Thought if he could prove himself a valuable witness to Helen, maybe they'd let him go for the attempted robbery and assault on the man that he is currently in jail for. Okay. So, like I said, Bert already talked to him back in 1985, and he's like, I wasn't there. That wasn't me. I was at work. Well, that's because 
Tom was doing other bad things. So Tom wanted to give a statement to Bert. Mm-hmm. His statement was says that we were riding Joseph White. He calls him Lobo. A lot of people call Joseph Lobo. Okay. So you'll hear me interchange Joseph and Lobo a lot. But him, Lobo, Joanne Taylor, and himself, they were out riding. And um, he said that he was in the middle seat while Joanne was by the door and Joseph was driving the car. And they all started talking about how they wanted to rob this old lady. But they weren't for sure whether they would get away with it or not. Okay. And right then, is at that point, he wanted no part of what was going on, and he, but he already promised them his car, so he asked them to just let him go. They could take the car and go. Um, and that he got out of the car at 6th and Ellen. And at this point, Bert already felt like he wasn't being honest. Mm-hmm. Like, there was some more he, was sh- he should say. And he stopped the interview, and he's like, you're not being honest with me. Yeah. You got you got more. So Tom consults with his lawyer, and his lawyer said, the more you talk your way out of a jail, the more you talk yourself into the penitentiary, mm-hmm. which is very true. He's like, so don't talk. But if you have to speak, speak the truth. Absolutely. Which couldn't be any more lawyer-like advice. Like, don't talk. Shut up. Yeah. The only time you talk is if you're going to say the truth. Exactly. So they started over the interview, and he said that they went into the apartment building. They went into Helen's apartment. He said that it was himself, Joanne, and Lobo. He said Helen started for the phone, and Lobo pushed her out of the way of the phone, pushed her into the bedroom, and that Joanne followed, and at the time, he heard her scream, and then he left. Hmm... At this point, his lawyer's like, stop, 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 stop. Like, stop talking. But Tom had his own agenda. Yeah. Tom was trying to make himself super valuable to that case. Like, I'm a good citizen. I'm helping you solve this thing. Yeah. Help Using me it help. To advantage. Yes. Um, Tom said that he did meet Joseph and Joanne at the truck stop where he worked. And like I said, that he, they're maybe like three or four years older than him. He said that they had nowhere to live and um, he let them move in and that they were really accepting of him because he was not like most. He wasn't into things that normal guys were into. Ooh, okay. I must, at first, he said he was different. At first, when I kind of was like, reading and learning about this i'm assuming he's gay well yeah in a town that's small in that time of age, that's probably what they called in a nice way different well, well in a way that they thought was he nice. called himself different but that's probably what they used right that terminology he is actually not gay he is bisexual though okay um i i learned that later his parents did try to warn him of Joanne and Joseph, though. They're like, that's not good people. Stay away from them. Mm-hmm. Don't be friends with them. Obviously, again, a boy who's having problems with his accepting his of his own sexuality finds people who accept his sexuality. He's going to want to be their friend. Yeah. Because like, he feels welcomed. He feels welcoming. He feels safe. Joanne was in North Carolina when she was arrested. And Joseph was in Alabama when he was arrested. Now, Joseph was a carefree, low-life kind of guy. He was into crazy things. He did porn star stuff, as they put it. Um, he was very quiet. He kept to himself. Uh, and he didn't need to tell you anything or prove anything. Mm. And some people said he... Some of the um, police officers kind of said he was almost cold. But he was just kind of this carefree guy. Okay. And he wasn't going to speak unless he had to speak. They interviewed Joseph for like an hour and he denied everything. He said, I didn't do it. I wasn't there. I have no idea who this person even is. 
I have no idea what you guys are even talking about. And he stayed there and never left that Hmm. thought. Um, Tony Redman was Joseph's attorney. Mm -hmm. And Joseph stand firm that he just, he didn't do it. Now, Joanne, everybody knew Joanne. Joanne, like I said, she was known on the streets to be kind of that low life. Yeah, she had a reputation. Drugs. She was aggressive person. Um, And anytime anything was going on Mm -hmm. that was not so good, Joanne somehow was in in the the area of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So during hers, she said that she had recollections of the homicide. They asked how, and she said, because she was present. And she was asked if anyone else was present. She said there was Lobo, Joseph, and another boy. She couldn't remember the other boy's name. Um, and they asked her, you know, what time it took place at. And she said it was between 5.30 and 7 in the evening. That is the wrong time because it was actually like 4 a.m. that it happened. Mm-hmm. So they're like, are you sure that's the time? And she's like, no. And they're like, well what time and then she said she didn't remember she just remembers being there Mm. but has a problem with her memory and that she blocks out a lot of bad things lyle cohing was joanne's taylor or joanne taylor's attorney and he said that she was a woman with serious serious psychological problems because she has a horrific background Mm. She was raped for the first time at nine years old. Now, when he said that, I'm like, that means there's more. Mm -hmm. But he never specified any more than that. Um, She was married at 14. I'm assuming she ran away because then she ended up in Beatrice with Joseph in 1984. But she didn't live there long. But she lived there long enough to make a reputation for herself. That's for damn sure. Yeah. In 1984, a man claimed she tried to strangle him. Another report said that she stole a watch from Kmart, which was, that report was also reported by Lisa. Um, Lisa's actually the one who turned her in for that. So I can kind of understand why she was scared of Lisa. You turned her in for, or why Lisa was kind of scared of Joanne. You turned her in for stealing a watch from Kmart. And now you're turning her in for a homicide. To like. I know. Joanne's, like, defense is, even though I don't want to take her defense, like, why would I tell Lisa shit if she's already fucking betrayed me once? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So, a woman said that she was beaten by Joanne. The report suggests Joanne is a violent person, the kind of person who might commit a violent act. So, in the interrogation, Joanne said... When they got there, Lobo started to get mean to the lady. She tried to grab Lobo's arm to get him to leave her alone, and she sh- he shoved her backwards. Oh, Joanne tried, sorry. Joanne tried to, I was reading my notes on that one, guys, I'm sorry. Joanne tried to grab Lobo's arm to be like, stop being mean to the lady, and he pushed her. Mm. Um, and then she said that Lobo raped her. And she said the other boy, who she couldn't remember the name, raped her physically she said that she raped her raped her like homosexuals or bisexuals do to people gotcha okay yeah she said it wasn't normal it's like bisexual or homosexuals and he she she was about to say anal but bert ended up saying it and she kind of nodded she was like you know and he's like anally and she's like yeah these are all very key things. Um, she just kind of nodded. They asked if there's anything else about the unknown person that might help her, like, help them, like, find them mm-hmm. or whatever. And they asked her, like, if we showed you a photo, like, would you be able to point them out? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, nodded. So they brought a lineup, had Tom's photo in that lineup, and she pointed Tom out. Lobo had she had talked about lobo having this money trick a lot of people had this money talked about 
Joseph mm-hmm. having this money trick where he would take a bill and he'd ask for a name of a president, a dairy product, and a movie. The president of the bill. Mm-hmm. So you'd say whatever is on the Lincoln bill. or something. Right. Half and half. Mm-hmm. So then you rip. The, he would rip the bill in half and then the movie would be gone with the wind. And he'd throw one half in the air and the other half in his pocket. Mm. Crime scene, the five dollar bill. bill. Lincoln. Okay. Um, according to the blood reports, none were the type though that was on the on the blood on the wall. Joseph is type O. Taylor, uh, Joanne Taylor is type O. Tom Winslow mm-hmm. is type A. But Bert said that that didn't matter because they all had statements that they were there. All the evidence is all he needed. Joanne. Yeah. Oh, go if, ahead. But if their, their blood wasn't there, if it's somebody else's, you're still not closing the case. You're they, still leaving it open. They asked, was there anybody else there? Mm-hmm. And Joanne said, Cliff Sheldon. Oh, boy. Cliff is the one that Tom was with. Yeah. Yes. So, Bert got a call from Cliff about the case. Because he must have heard, you know, your name was dropped. And somehow a description of... um, a woman with black hair, heavy set, was brought up, said that there's a woman that looked like this that was there. Do you know who this person might be? He's like, that's my wife, Deborah. Mm. Joanne had a thing for Cliff. Mm. But Cliff did not have a thing for Joanne. Joanne. Joanne, in her crazy mind, though, thought that they were a couple. And then here comes Deborah and Cliff left in Joanne's mind. Cliff dropped Joanne for Deborah. Mm-hmm. Cliff's like, uh-uh. We never dated. She always wanted it. I she's not my type. Deborah was always my type. Gotcha. So her name and description being brought into it had to have been an attack on Deborah. Yes. From Joanne. But unfortunately, Deborah was brought in for interrogation and she said she was there during the crime. Oh my fucking God. Come on, people. What is this, a, a party? This woman goes home, says she's not feeling well, and doesn't want to have coffee with her own family. And now she's got, what, like, we are we're up, looking at five people now? We're up to four. Four? Four. We have Joanne, Joseph, Tom, and now Deborah. Wait, wasn't Cliff just there, too? Cliff was brought... His name was brought in, but more of, like, that was her boyfriend. Okay. Yes. Helen, the poor sweet lady, was Deborah's aunt. Oh, for fuck's sake. And as Deborah was being interrogated, she also names James Dean. Now we're at five. That's five people. She said he was there, too. And poor James ended up getting arrested on his birthday. He was headed to his birthday party when they arrested him. Well, you don't do bad shit, you won't get arrested. Richard Schmeling was James' attorney. James was known to not be very intelligent at all. He, like, dropped out of school at, like, a young age. Um... And he told, but he basically told James, like, if you did this, you got to tell me, like, Mm -hmm. right now. And he's like, I didn't do it. You can give me a lie detector test and I'll prove I didn't do it. He was just that, he was that Billy badass. Like, I'm going to fight all of you guy. Okay. He was given the lie detector test and he failed. Of course. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was told, basically, you need to tell us what happened And that way we can keep you out of the electric chair. Mm. 
Yeah. He was not the model citizen for jail. He would be very needy. He was very demanding. He would boss a lot of the other people around. He had to be told, like, they're not your servants. You can't tell them what to do like that. Like, he would have fits in the middle of the night. So they had this um, psychology doctor, police officer guy um, called Dr. Price. And he apparently was the only one who could help in these situations. So he would see Dr. Price a lot at all different times, middle of the night, whatever. Uh, But like I said, James would say over and over and over again, like, I was not there. Mm -hmm. I have no idea who these people are. I don't know who you're talking about. But then suddenly James said the next morning, "Um, I need to talk to you guys. I was there. The fuck? He remembered something. He remembered um, everybody all of a sudden standing at the door. He said Joanne knocked at the door. James said that he was there. He didn't get involved but got super paranoid. And he's the one that pulled the fuse for the lights in the hallway. Oh, so he knew that. Oh, shit. Okay. Amongst James's confession suddenly... He then ended up naming another person. Good fucking lord. Kathy Gonzalez. Kathy lived directly above Helen. That's why nobody heard anything. Gotcha. Um, she said that while, or he said while there, when they were wrestling with Helen, uh-huh. that she ended up getting kicked in the nose and she grabbed a rag to yeah. stop the bleeding. There was a rag. In the sink. In the sink. Mm. Deborah confirmed that this is what happened. There was also a bloody bra found in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. And that bra belonged to Kathy. Kathy had bee blood. Dun, dun, dun. She got kicked in the nose. There was blood mm, on the wall. That makes blood sense. Blood on the rag. So now we have Joanne Taylor, Joseph White, mm-hmm. Tom Winslow, Deborah Sheldon, James Dean, and Kathy Gonzalez. That is six. Those are your Beatrice six. Now the crazy thing about this story... You heard all those confessions? Mm-hmm. They were all actually innocent people. What the fuck? I'm assuming that's a part two. Yeah, you guys are going to have to come find out how those. This is crazy. It is a fucking head spin of a story. What the They fuck? are all actually innocent people. But. I will say the town does not understand that still to this day, the town doesn't believe that some of the town doesn't believe that they're innocent mm-hmm. because you just heard. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Those confessions. How did they know all these yeah, details? Yeah, those details. How did they know certain things? How did certain evidence line up with certain people? They had to have heard it. Hmm. I think I'm catching on. I'm going to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, it's there. There is a thing that said, you know, basically that there is a lot. These people obviously are all lower end citizens. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all easy manipulated. Yeah. There is a lot of manipulation that could happen. Yeah. Um, and some of these, they just how did each person all of a sudden bring another name in? Yeah. But like I said, a lot of people in the town are like, but how could you confess to something that you didn't do? Like, how did that happen? It happens all the time. It happens more often than not. Especially, like, hate to say it, but you get in some of those interrogation rooms and it's not, it's not by law. It's not. And they do things that they're not supposed to do. And there should be, like, a limit as to how long you can keep a suspect in an interrogation room. Oh, there's people that are in those rooms way too long. Yeah. 
way too long. At the point to drive a person crazy just to admit it so they can just get out of there, go home, and then recant. But that's, or not go home, but go back to the cell. Um, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And it opens up a whole new can of worms. But if you have somebody in that type of mindset where they just want to get out of it. Like, the closest one that comes to mind is, was what was that Netflix special? We were talking about it not too long ago. Make a Murder. I, How to Make a Murder. Was it? That with one? the Manitowoc? Um, I think so. Where the one nephew confessed to the crime. But when you watch the interrogation videos... Oh, that wasn't making a murder. It was... Um, um, What's his face? I can't remember. But they were, like... Obviously, you can tell, like, this kid has some kind of mental disorder. Mm -hmm. And may or may not be on the spectrum. And the way that they're... Like, digging into his mind, manipulating him, and kind of, like, it's almost abusive to me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's going to admit to it. He wants, he's scared. Like, he wants to just go home. But he doesn't know that's not an option. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. Yeah. But you see it all the time. Yeah. Not just in that situation. I mean, I, I was watching one of the talk shows. I don't remember what it was. If it was Oprah or... It was years and years and years ago, or I don't even remember who it was, Montel, maybe, I don't even know, Um, about parents who were convicted for being sexually assaulting their children, but they had the kids that were like, if you just tell us mommy and daddy did this to you, you can go home to them. Yeah. So I can imagine it happens a lot. Yeah. The so. mind games. All right. Well, I'm definitely intrigued. Y'all got to come back with me. Got to figure this shit out. Yeah. This is a this is a doozy because now we gotta we're gonna talk about the situation of how how are they innocent mm. and what got to that place of that innocence and the toll it took on Nebraska. Yeah, I can imagine, especially a place like Nebraska. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. That small of a town. Yeah, so thanks for coming mm-hmm. to our shenanigans, guys. Don't forget to find us on Instagram, what, Facebook, TikTok, TikTok. We're doing some toasty shenanigans on there lately. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you keep going. I was saying, and keep these requests coming because they're this, I, w- I would have never found this one. And when I did, I instantly, like, I was excited. Yeah. I was excited. So keep those keep those coming guys. Absolutely. All right. Bye. Bye.